0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host,
1: Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bo.
0: And for this week's episode of Safe Room, we're once again celebrating not one, but two Devil May Cry series entry anniversaries, as 2003's Devil May Cry 2 from Capcom turns 20, and the DMC reboot from Ninja Theory turns 10. For those not in the know, the Devil May Cry franchise is a beloved horror hack-and-slash series led by the brash and rebellious protagonist and demon hunter extraordinaire, Dante. But it isn't just Neil and I this week, as we've enlisted the help of senior editor of PlayStation Universe and the co-host of the PlayStation Unchained podcast, Gary Bagdasarov.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well, we're happy to have you, and uh, you know, we're excited to pick your brain about uh, Devil May Cry. You know, last year we chatted about the original game, and that was basically the extent of my uh, exposure to Devil May Cry, really. It's just, it was one of my oversights, but, uh, you know, it's great to have somebody that I'm sure is as much a fan of the series as Neil is. Um, and I'm excited to kind of compare and contrast a little bit between DMC2 and the reboot and just, you know, seeing how maybe things have evolved since DM, uh, DMC2 and just how, you know, the reboot you know, took a crack at something that was pretty well established. um, And it seems like there was maybe mixed responses to that and how successful that was. But we'll get to the bottom of all that and more, I'm sure. But Gary, as it's your first time on the show, why don't we start with just, you know, how you regard Devil May Cry as a series and what makes it a standout uh, for the genre? Uh, You know, for
2: me, Devil May Cry kind of has been hit and miss in a lot of places. Um, I, I loved how it started as a Resident Evil game and kind of became its mm-hmm. own thing from its its creators, uh, Shinji Mikami, I believe it was. Um, and, you know, the, the first Devil May Cry was this big step forward, I feel, for the, the action genre, where it was cool to be this badass character who wasn't afraid to fight. He was very confident. He was cocky at most. Most times he made fun of his enemies. It was fun to see, um, which he didn't really get to see a lot uh, at that time. Um, and and I feel like the game kind of propelled the action genre forward, you know, the, the pure action genre. You know, if you look at a lot of the games that came out, you know, you have Bayonetta, which essentially was a spiritual successor to, to that in a way. Uh, but But it did a lot. Uh, it did a lot for, for the genre, and I I really appreciated it for that. Uh, I started kind of falling out of love with it when they kind of started shifting away from the the character of Dante and they started introducing all these other characters throughout the franchise mm-hmm. that kind of started to become more important in the story they were telling. Because I feel like the entire story of Dante started and ended with Devil May Cry 1. Like, there's really nothing else for them to tell you about him. Um, so they kind of went in and, and tried to bring in all these other characters. You know, they, they introduced this brother, which they kind of hinted he had in the first one, but you they mm-hmm. never really confirmed it. They just randomly added him in. Um, so it, it was. It's been a kind of a love-hate relationship. Right? I feel like Devil May Cry <laughs> kind of tried to push the envelope forward after it's already established the the type of game yeah. that it was, and it always tried to outdo it. Um, and in my opinion, didn't always succeed in outdoing it. Um, no, unfortunately. Um, and and it's a good <laughs> thing that you know Devil May Cry two came out, and we know chronologically it's technically the end of the story of devil may cry yeah (laughs) when it comes to all the you know the the five games and you know the the reboot which obviously is not part of that but you know we kind of see that dante is very mellow he's very not entertaining anymore when it comes to devil may cry 2 like he used to be
1: um yeah yeah it's it's A real, it's like an entirely different actor playing an iconic role, and not getting it at all in that second game. It's just little bits of it come back in the games after, but yeah, the the shine of that first game isn't there as you go on from it.
2: Yeah, you know, and Capcom could have just disregarded Devil May Cry too. You know, they come back, oh. You know, it's whatever. We're just gonna make the sequel of Devil May Cry three, and that's gonna be the real sequel, even though it was a prequel to the story. Obviously, have four and five that you know have that same type of cocky Dante um, that people love, but they didn't. They they still made it chronological in a way, and it's still part of the main overall story of Devil May Cry, if you can really call that it having a big overall story. (laughs)
1: it <laughs> it basically seems to roll, roll around telling the same story over and over again, but in a slightly different ways.
0: Well, I guess in, since we've transitioned into uh, Devil May Cry 2 talk, and, you know, uh, if I've accurately read the room, I'm not sure if this would be much of a joyous celebration of uh, its anniversary. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, Neil, you revisited the game this week for the first time in quite a while, I believe, um, and yeah. so generally, uh, was the game all that you remembered it to be? Did you maybe misremember certain elements that didn't end up being as much of a, uh, a hindrance
1: on your experience with Devil May Cryo 2
0: as it was originally?
1: Well, you know, when we talked about the original, uh, when that had its own anniversary, and I said, you know, I could appreciate that it's dated in a lot of ways, and, you know, it's like, but, you know, the charm of it's there, and yeah, I love that. And, you know, something that's definitely hit devil me cry 2 is the same is the fact that while it is technologically slightly more advanced than its predecessor in some ways especially in like the look um as a game fourth it has aged like the finest cheese uh, that um was left out in the sun for the last two decades it is um worse than i remember somehow which hmm. is staggering and uh, you know i had long attributed it to being expectation and anticipation and having a sequel come out to say you know i had, in the early 2000s you know i was only really getting into franchises and things and really getting excited for like sequels to things and in the world of games generally sequels are bangers out the gate especially from capcom you know like resident evil 2 you know it's you know the greatest example of that, and it was just game after game where it was like, yeah, there's a great sequel to that there's a great sequel to that brilliant you know and then I don't know then it something changed in the world of games where sequels became more like movie sequels where a bit of a mixed bag, but that in terms of game was was the first game I really just went, what the fuck is this you know and i I do not know what this is, but it is not what I signed up for you know this is not what I've waited you know a year and a half or so I think it was for that point and you know i I was hoping that maybe there'd be something i just missed mellowed out on i said this you know when we talked about dead space last week you know how i appreciate it a bit more than i did at the time um you know i because you know i have for, for what it's worth with that game i have so many memories that surround it you know that i can sort of connect to it and say maybe they were the reason i didn't like it you know it's like you know stuff in personal life things that were going on like that maybe that was it but no, just just coming back to and having just played D, you know, DMC as well, I was just like, no, how how is this? Just I, I can't. I know it's not the same team, but you know you consider some of the people working on that. You know, um one of the world's most famous Twitter blockers had a hand in this one in here. So you think okay, so it should have something to it. It whiffs the point completely. It's like. The Hollywood remake of the really insane Bajet, you know, Japanese film or something. You know, that's what it feels like. It's like everything about it is like, yeah, we want to be cool. I mean, to the point they had that fucking was it Diesel jeans deal in there. You know, with the costumes by Diesel. And so, what? What? <laughs> what does any of this have to do with Delwyn? Well, that's where the budget went, man. <laughs> yeah, <just> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that, that's probably true of Capcom in general in the years that came past where it's like they don't seem to understand that you know you get people to pay you to sponsor you know to have sponsored things in your game not not chase after diesel and say we'll pay you this amount to have diesel in our game please and um, <laughs> that's what it feels like in there uh, yeah I mean that's like tip of the iceberg stuff and I'm sure we will get into it but um, I'll let other people talk about it first before we do <laughs>
0: Gary, for you, like what are uh, what's a major shortcoming of DMC2 or maybe a lesson that they unlearned from the original that stands out to you the most? Uh,
2: it's identity.
0: It lost its identity
2: mm. from the first game. Um, you know you, you look at like I mentioned with Dante, like he's a completely different character. It's almost like it's not him. and yeah. you know, I think at the time it was very jarring for people because they they attach to this character and then he's not even close to being who he was um he flips a coin for no reason like they don't even explain (laughs) the coin thing and say what the hell is the coin thing about you
1: know um i mean it's damning (laughs) isn't it when you know you can say that character has lost his way when the first game has him saying shit like flock off featherface." (laughs) and it's like and that's the good stuff yeah but
2: yeah he 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 kind of became wrong again he kind of became the the i don't want to say typical japanese anime character That's like super Mm. cool. Like he just shows up and he's a badass. He doesn't say anything. He just gets the job done and moves on. But that's what he was in this one. Um, And I don't know if that was the goal or what happened there, but I I just don't understand how you could have taken what was done in the first one, looked at it and be like, let's redo the whole thing. It's almost (laughs) like it never got out of the concept stage and whatever they came up at the concept point, they decided to implement as the final product. Um. Yeah. But, but you know, even a, a, as much as Devil May Cry two, I think is the weakest in the entire franchise. I still Fatter. look at it, and in my personal opinion, it's still better than a lot of third person action games out there.
1: Um, I mean, stylistically, <laughs> I think there, there are things to like about it. You know, mm-hmm. It's interesting choices that had the gameplay been better, maybe it might have been better to appreciate like, you know, the locations, like the changes in monsters and thing, but they kind of then land, lend to this whole idea of like, blanding down all the things that were wild and exotic about the original.
0: I would say that that's my big point of contention. Admittedly, didn't ever end up finishing DMC2 just because I played, I think two hours of it. And I was like, yeah, this is really not more of uh, what I was looking for from the original. But, you know, that's my big (laughs) sticking point is that I found to be, you know, thinking about, the gothic and varied art design of a lot of those you know, environments from the original game and also how you know, I could pick out specific enemies that really stood out just from their design and how weird they were and the ways in which they were incorporated into that world. And then in playing the second one, I was like, well, I feel like the first hour of that game is just r- the same city that you're running through that kind of is very nondescript and bland in comparison. It lacks personality or even texture really. Yeah. And then in terms of the enemies... It kind of just felt like very generic along the lines of what you would expect from any other sort of action game that lacked a lot of that, you know, weird, quirky kind of personality that went into some of the designs of the original. But at the same time, you know, to Gary's point, I think that I would probably rather play the two hours of DMC than a lot of other perhaps action clones of that period that were trying to do something similar just based off of how it handled However, again, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't consider this based on the three games I've played to be uh, a standout of the series. Um, and of what I've played of the series, it's definitely my least favorite, I would say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned some of the enemies and like I remember you, like you fought a tank, like you fight tanks in with, that game. With like, a big eye. Like and a helicopter, helicopter with a giant like, eye. <laughs> how does that even make sense? So
0: like, I, know. It, it well, was know. Again, engine. it just
1: feels like slapped together. and it just, Ooh. and that, Combined with the city levels that are brown, it's just yeah. like... <laughs> Jesus, don't even get me Come started on, on <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> well, to the point about, you know, the tank enemy and stuff like that, it, given how bizarre that world can be and the, what types of creatures they throw at you, you know, there is a scenario where that could work, right? But again, it just, it felt like the additions or the expansions on the environments and the enemies, it felt like they didn't have the same type of care that went into what was available in the original. Because it's like, sure... You can have this, you know, in, I guess, suppose, demonic tank, if you will, but you have to give it a design element that doesn't just make it seem like any tank from any other video game you've played. Or the fact that, you know, the second half of that initial just brown village that you're running through um, continues into a section further that it's like, okay, now it's nighttime. So now you can barely see the projectiles and stuff like that. There was just some very mm-hmm. kind of like, thrown together feel to a lot of those early sections that I played to the environments and whatnot that um, did not bring back fond memories of what I uh, had appreciated of the original Devil May Cry. (laughs) Are there any qualities of Devil May Cry 2 that, you know, actually stand out in a good way, (laughs) in a positive way? You know, we mentioned that compared the gameplay compared to plenty of clones of that era that tried to emulate that um, was, you know, felt like it was a continuation of what worked in the original in some regards, but are there any really like positive qualities to
1: Devil May Cry 2? Um, The music's quite good. I mean, again, not on the level of the first game, but it's got the nice sort of, you know, Capcom games, that era of just generally hit it out of the park with music, whatever. And this was no slouch in that department. And, you know, Dante's design, I don't mind. I really liked, you know, before the game came out, I was Really intrigued by it. I thought it was like a cool sort of upgrade on, on what he was, and um, to have a slightly older Dante, it's just unfortunately that you know the rest of him didn't come with it. Um, you know, and bef- again, before playing the game, the character of Lucia looked interesting. You know, to have dual protagonists, I thought that would be cool. Again, turned out to be a bit of a false thing because it's more of like reskinning the character and making you play the same thing twice, as it turns out with this game. Um, and I don't know. Like I said before, there's there's aspects of it that would really work if other things worked well. Yeah, you know, I think you know the the enemy design can be good. You know, when as much as it can be bad with the sort of Uriborus tanks and things, you know there are other enemies that look really in place with what we have seen already. And you know that that general sort of uprise of two years of PlayStation two development on from the original. It's brilliant it, it does you can see the visual upgrades but it's just yeah, yeah uh, we don't have to caveat every time we're saying <laughs> why it goes wrong i suppose but you know it's there and uh, though i can't quite go as uh to bat for it and say that i'd rather play this than certain other things yeah you know, it, it's not awful you know in, in a lot of ways it's just when compared to where it was and where it goes it's, yeah, the biggest nosedive I've seen a franchise take since what the Mission Impossible films when you go from one to two. You know, it's like, you know, where it's like taught drama and it's like John Woo's doing the next one, you're thinking, okay, that's cool. And I just look back at it and think, you just like the Limp Biscuits song. That was it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's a, nothing else about that film worked for you. And yeah, so, yeah, this is very much my. Ray Scott in Mission Impossible Two of uh, video game sequels. <laughs> it's um, I hate it for what it is, <laughs> not what it isn't. <laughs> uh,
2: I have to mimic some of the things you said, Neil. I, I thought the soundtrack was actually pretty good. Uh, in, in a lot of places, the Dante. I think this is my favorite Dante design in the whole franchise. Mm. Um, I love the the black spandex shirt he has on with the trench coat. I think he just looked really cool. Um, yeah, I, I like. I actually did like Lucia. Is that Lucia? Um, I yeah. liked her character. I liked, uh, I know they didn't do it as much as I wanted, but you really saw them do it, like, essentially at the end of the game where, you know, you see what happens with her after Dante goes through the gate to go to hell and she has to yeah. fight um, Arius, uh, the the main bad guy in that one. And you see, you know, her story and through her perspective. And I felt like the Capcom... Kind of took that idea and much later on implemented it in in further titles, but it was a cool idea yeah. to to kind of tell the same story but from different characters' perspectives. Um, And I think, obviously, you know they they carried that on, but a lot of other games have done that since Devil May Cry too. You know they didn't succeed very well here, but the they yeah. they tried at least. Um there's a lot of things they wanted to do, but maybe they just didn't know how to do it because of the hardware limitations and things. They like Dante had a lot of useless moves in that game. Like he has a wall Mm. run. Why does he have a wall run? (laughs) You know, it doesn't do anything, you know, like if there's platforming sections where it's utilized. Sure. And I know like just the straight up wall run and jump on a platform is it, but there's one where, you know, he's running and he runs on the wall and does like a flip out of it, but it was a pointless move. So I feel like they, they had plans for it. They wanted to do stuff with it. They just maybe didn't know how to utilize it or, you know, hardware limitations didn't allow them to do what they wanted to do. Um, yeah. Obviously a lot of things could going to happen there, but I felt like they, they tried to do a lot of things in Dome May Cry too, And obviously a lot of them didn't work out. But they set up blueprints, at least for Capcom, not particularly Devil May Cry, to utilize things in other projects.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Arius himself, um, as a villain, is kind of replicated about, you know, DMC Devil May Cry, you know, in terms of having, like, a, a CEO-style villain. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you, you, and I think the biggest sort of caveat you can give for this game is that, you know it's the first game capcom made where they used to be you know console arcade that was their studios and then they suddenly had to start making more games and they were like well now we need another studio so they started ripping people out from different places to do that and you can feel it in every part of devil may cry 2 you know that you can see good ideas and messed with bad ideas you know i think when i was reading before on research of this and seeing that it sounds like a producer didn't like what Dante was in the original. And that's why we ended up with the fucking thing that's here. You know, it's like that we ended up with this grown up person, it's like, <laughs> which was just shocking. Way to pull the um, rug out from under one of the best
0: features of the original
1: game. <laughs> I
0: know. Yeah,
1: I know. Um So yeah, you can give it that sort of caveat and say, okay, yeah, it's not all their fault. You know, the team, it just, it was a, time where they were shifting into doing different things and this happened to be the game that got sacrificed to the gods rather than one of the bigger franchises it's at the Almost the
2: lack of direction at that point. You know, yeah. Shangikami went on, I think, after that to do don Resident Evil Four, right? Because
1: Yeah, I mean I think he was working on Yeah, Del May was so. supposed
2: to be Resident Evil Four and it mm. morphed into that. So you know you, you lost the, the the guy who essentially led the team. So you had to give it to some new person or a younger guy there. Without- well, Camira
1: had done, um, Beautiful Joe at this time, hadn't he? So I think he had some experience, but yeah, I think this was the first time he'd really done a big studio game. You know, so, you know, it's, it, it, I think you can see aspects of that in there. Yeah, you know, what Cameo can bring to it. Yeah, game, I mean, but... credit
2: to him. He went on and did Bayonetta, which was, you know, vastly... Yeah, vastly.
1: always feels like an apology for this, yeah. you know, in that way. It's like, I wanted to make the game that I, always, I really envisioned, and, yeah, Bayonetta ends up being, like, an offshoot continuation of what Devil May Cry could have been, you know, where it's campy, over-the-top, unserious, and lots of cheesy lines and smuttiness, and it is just, like where the series could have gone you know had it had the right thing so yeah I don't blame Kamiya in that regard because the, the, you know, he clearly showed he wanted to do that sort of stuff with this franchise with what he does later
0: Now that I am uh, you know a little bit more familiar with perhaps some of the shortcomings of uh, DMC2 you know for my own curiosity in what ways does DMC3 and you know we don't have to get into a whole thing about DMC3 but like does DMC3 learn from those shortcomings and sort of send the series back in the direction that maybe relates a little bit more to the original vision of the original game,
2: Gary? Uh, absolutely. I think it does. Obviously, they they gave Dante his identity back and made him even more cockier because he's much younger in this one. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, the, it, it, it's essentially how he interacts with enemies again. You know, you, you fight the Cerberus, Enemy dog, and you know, he taunts it, he makes fun of it to come at him. You know, they, they they brought him back that way. The other big thing they obviously learned, in my opinion, is their storytelling. They they actually yeah. cared about giving Dante a story this time, and you know, obviously they introduced his brother this time. Um and they, they went in, they fantastic cutscenes, you know, over-the-top action. This is what what made Devil May Cry so good and then up the ante on that give them all these multiple different weapons to use now mix and match they did a lot of things here that um i think fundamentally again moved this type of action game forward you know which is what devil may cry 2 should have done instead i felt like it went backwards a little bit um you know they they instead of having this big, huge city this time across multiple locations with Devil May Cry 2, you know, it's centered on one giant tower that you climb up, like a Tower of Babel. He's got to climb all the way up that damn Mm. thing, you know? Um, So I think it it, it definitely learned from its mistakes, and I feel like Capcom learned Mm. from their mistakes too. This is the Dante people fell in love with. This is the kind of action game they want. They want this ridiculous stuff. Let's give it to them. And, you know, there's he's riding a motorcycle up a freaking building. He's dodging missiles and shit. Um, that's yeah, what they did. It
1: just feels perfectly back in line with what we expect. And kind of, it course corrects the character for the rest of the, the series now. You know, and which is just makes two stand out all the more at this point, because it is just like the one where you can get it, you know, Chronologically, that he's like that, but then obviously other games have come out since where he's more grizzled, older, and he's still like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, Devil May Cry 5 really just leaned into no old Dante wouldn't be like that, he'd be like this. And it's like, and you know, he's a fucking moonwalking <laughs> prick of a man, and it's brilliant, but and that's how he should be.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, in chatting about uh, Dante, you know, finding his original identity, right? I think that that's a great segue into uh, DMC from Ninja Theory, which came out in 2013, which was effectively a reboot, right? For Devil May Cry, Mm -hmm. which had slightly a new take on the character, the lore, and then, you know, there were plenty of additions and changes to gameplay. But uh, we'll take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, we'll dive into some of those and more. And we're back from our break. And let's dive right into DMC because this was my first time playing it. um, And I was pleasantly surprised to find that, you know, while I uh, may be the DMC sort of novice of the three of us, um, I still found that DMC resembled elements of Devil May Cry and Dante himself that were uh, familiar, but it definitely deviated a little bit. And I'm really curious to see, you know, for you guys – how that landed for you originally, and you know, maybe perhaps in subsequent playthroughs, if um, maybe you cooled on certain aspects that initially didn't quite land with you. But uh, Gary, let's start with you. How successful a reboot did you find uh, DMC to be?
2: I found it very successful. Um, I talked with a lot of friends about this, and you know, I I had the pleasure of reviewing the definitive edition of Devil May Cry. When yeah. it came out on the PS4, and you know, in my opinion, I called it the best Devil May Cry game uh, out of all of them. Um, and I feel like the innovation that came from it was taking everything that Capcom tried to do with Devil May Cry one through four, and yeah. it it took it and it made it in a way cohesive. You no, know, it had a cohesive story. Whereas Devil May Cry was so broken up and, and all over the place when it came to its story. Um, this one had a story of, you know, Dante, who we find out, you know, he lost his memory or it was taken away from him by his father. And he has a brother and, you know, they're working together to essentially stop Mundus, you know, a, a, a demon essentially controlling this entire city. Um, and it had this a, a story that that made sense it it followed beats of a story that you would expect and it was a good story that they told Um, but you know they took aspects of what made everything of Devil May Cry fun especially with with its combat and simplified it you know it more like they did with Devil May Cry 1 where you know his attacks were simple but you can mix and match so many different ways it creates this unique experience like no combo will ever be the same you know, mm-hmm. they, they gave him the multiple weapons that they introduced in Devil May Cry 3. Um, you know, he had the big hammer, he had the scythe, he had the gauntlets that you get later on. And you can switch them on the fly as you're fighting. And it added so much to the combat. Um, and I loved all of that. Um, mm. The You know, the, the, the level design is, is in my opinion, was some of the best Devil May Cry has had. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. The, Definitely. Like, the way that the world just changes on the fly as you're playing it, the, the platforming parts that, that they introduced, it was so well done. And, you know, you see the holographic, like, images of Virgil and – um mm. I forget the girl's name. Um, Cat? Cat, yeah. Yeah. um You see them. It, it was just a visually pleasing uh, artistic style that they chose, uh, especially towards the end when you're going through the tower and, like, you see the arrows that she draws for you through chalk telling you where to go. It was Stuff like that it was really cool. Uh, you know, the whole club yeah. scene uh, was visually very well done as well. And obviously the news station was pretty cool. And the way they did the camera yeah. angles where, you know, it's like a news chopper flying around as you're fighting as Dante. It was stuff like that it was really well done. Um, hmm. But I think what, what hit most for me with the with with that game and its story was how relevant it was uh mostly how people see things now or is that like, oh corrupt people exist no way they do <laughs> especially in big corporations and in power like i loved how hmm. they took things like oh you're drinking soda imagine if that soda came from a human being that's being you know, processed by demons and shit, you know? I mean, I, th- I think
1: that even has like a Slurm <laughs> reference from Futurama in that bit as well, which is um, mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah,
2: stuff like that was so well done because we know soda's bad for you, but we drink it. Why don't we drink it? You know, what if you found out? Would you still drink it that way? It's
1: like- I'm drinking it right now.
2: <laughs> it's like big corporations finding ways to control the masses. And they did it mm-hmm. in this game, but they did it in such a unique way by introducing essentially a religious tone to it with angels and demons like oh demons why possess people when we can just (laughs) siphon souls of people by corrupting them with sin and giving Mm. them sin to Mm. live through you know um it was very well done i think it was very ahead of its time and i think when when it came out a lot of people were like what is this you know i don't want to say woke shit but at the time (laughs) i guess you can say it was for that you know but People didn't really want to pay attention to that kind of stuff back then. Um.
1: Yeah, I think another aspect of the problem that came up for this game was internet discussion of things was really being, you know, coming alive at this point. You know, so moral outrages to trivial shit were huge Mm -hmm. at this point. So and this game was a victim of that. For the Daftest reason, when you think the biggest thing was like he hasn't got white hair, yeah, you know, like that. Which you know the game goes on to actually show that he does get white hair nowadays. You know that in the post MCU era, that sort of shit would be fine. No one would give a <laughs> shit because you you could get to, people would be like waving their hands like a fucking inflatable man, and you know every time when they saw that at the end, you know when he gets the white hair, but. Then it was like, yeah, no, let's make assumptions. Let's guess that this is going to be terrible because it does this. And then of course made it worse with that, um, scene early on in the game where the white <laughs> wig falls on him and he says, not in a million years, which I love oh, yeah. to this day. Cause I, I love when games sort of rib their own audience like that it, because Devil May Cry as a series deserves it, you know, because it's been so up and down and really trying to sort of swirl around back to the identity it already had and then taking little side notes and, you know, it's always something that the fans hate. And, you know, here's a game that because of the time it came out got so much more hate than, say, Dead Cry 2 did. You know, Dead and Cry 2 had come out, you know, 10 years later. We'd have had this worse than we did for this, you know, absolutely. But because it came out in a time where internet use was very limited... Well, believe it, I was on the internet then, and believe me, people fucking hated it. But you know, the people on the line were a much smaller audience, so it wasn't such a problem. But this, wow, you know, there's so much about it to love. And I think what to me, you know, we've been talking about identity and you know, Dante being Dante, and one of the things I love about the original game is how Dante. He's cool because he doesn't care what he's saying. He's not. He's not really trying to make cool one-liners. He's just saying the first thing that comes into his head, and it's cheesy and it's terrible, and it works because he has the charisma to pull it off. And this game is exactly like that. You know, Dante says stuff that is just absolute shite sometimes, yeah, you know, or really cringy if you take it out of context. But for the character and who he is, and the fact he's young, it. Really makes sense, and it really captures that spirit of the original game for me. And being a reboot, that made me, it's the first time anyone had understood the character in exactly the same way as the original team did. You know, and I think subsequently that's why, you know, uh, Devil May Cry 5 ends up being the game it is. You know, I think, you know, Nero in there, you know, Nero was a hated character before this in Devil May Cry 4. And then look what they basically rebooted him into in Devil May Cry Five. He's this Dante. He,
2: he, yeah. he literally He's, looks exactly like him.
1: <laughs> exactly. The they, they just said <laughs> no. So this is it. We should use that as a basis for Nero. Nero becomes this Dante. Yeah. and that's great. That's one of the things that makes Devil May Cry Five great. You know, so you cannot deny the legacy that this game has. Um, yeah, one of the things that people are often shocked about is about that Alex Garland. You know, wrote for this, you know, but then having seen much of what Alex Garland has been involved with over the years, yeah, he's capable of all sorts, you know, from like mind bending brilliance to what the fuck did you just make? So (laughs) this, this really does sort of sit nicely in the middle, you know, in terms of like uh, writing style. Mm. Um, But yeah, I just like the combat in this game so much. Because as Gary was saying, it's simplified, but it gives you so many options, you know. And all of the options are really cool and all the weapons are really cool. You know, you have like, you can switch between two different weapons per cycle and different shoulder button in combination with a face button, you know, works that weapon. And it's just great. I really, really enjoy the way it works out. And again, you know, the level design is exquisite. You know, Gary was saying, yeah, among the best, to me, the best. You know, I, I don't think the mainline games have ever had anything as smart as the, the Bob Barbas level or even the nightclub stuff. You know, yeah. it's like the, the, there's some cool stuff in there that, yeah, shallow in some ways, but you know, in terms of visual design and where they go, they take it into a nice place. I think one of the things it suffers with unfairly, is that so many games ended up doing the, oh, here's a dimension where here's a bunch of rocky platforms spread out across a big area with crumbling ruins. You know, so many games ended up doing that that it almost feels like it got treated badly for that in retrospect. Um, But, you know, it was one of the first games that really did it properly and made it part of the game. Yeah, so I, I really, really dig this game how about you this as well as your virgin experience with this game
0: (laughs) yeah you know i was really pleasantly surprised to find that you know it obviously is a reboot but at the same time it feels like the story is streamlined just enough that you don't constantly feel like you're kind of losing track of the intricacies of relationships Mm. or these different things or you know as if there's a lot of baggage that you're just kind of like playing catch up with constantly i thought that they did a great job of sort of Introducing those characters in that world in a way that came across as, you know, the, my memory of what the original DMC kind of was, right? This angels and demons stuff. But at the same time, kind of like what you both have said, there is that modern updating on it that has some real world elements to it, which I think, you know, when you incorporate some of those different tendencies and things like that, it helps for a story that, you know, to some might seem like, okay, this feels like a retreading it gives it that fresh breath of creativity for all of the reasons that we've been saying, right? I think from the storytelling aspect to the environment and world building and lore of that, I found to be really interesting. And you know, the, the whole, like, even though it is very much still rooted in angels and demons, I like that there's that sort of tech aspect or the, you know, the, the crazy CEO that's ruling everything that has their fingers and everything and is controlling Mm -hmm. and brainwashing society. Um, I found that that, and you know honestly that's probably most of uh, I would assume like Garland's uh, handiwork right is him pushing it maybe a little yeah. more into a realm that DMC hasn't explored previously and in some ways um, feels reminiscent of some of his work in film or in other games right um, yeah in terms of the environments though I think that and we'll get into combat in a little more detail but you know I was really blown away by the use of limbo, not only from the storytelling side of things, but more importantly in the game design um, and the way in which you traverse that world. And, you know, even to your point, yeah. Neil, that, you know, there have been other games that have done things like that. It's almost Inception-esque, right? Where the world begins to collapse and is becomes oh, yeah. weaponized against the protagonist. At the same time, though, the way in which you navigate all of the environments, I found for the most part, has this fantastic fluidity to it. Um, and it really makes it, you know, a, it captures the elements of platforming that, you know, make platformers so much fun. But at the same time, I found that those sections do a great job of breaking up the combat. That's not to say that, you know, combat is one note or that I grew tired of combat at any point because the combat in this, I think, is fantastic. Of this genre, this is the best, whether you want to call it a beat-em-up or a hack-and-slash, this has been my favorite um, just because of how approachable it is and the variety of weapons that you have and whatnot. Um, yeah,
1: I also just how it telegraphs what you're supposed to do with certain enemies where they have, you know, certain weaknesses and color coding and things like that. Simple stuff, but you learn it and it makes you more graceful in battle the more you learn. And that, that is something that I cannot say of any of the other Deadman Cry games. You know, where it, it has its own language that really just speaks properly and loudly and clearly.
0: Yeah, I think um, thinking back to playing DMC 1 and 2, you know, I was kind of fumbling around in the beginning of those games trying to get Mm -hmm. a handle on everything. But my transition into combat and really having a, you know, mastering combat, if you will, um, in DMC, I found to be, you know, effortless almost. Um, You know, of course, you have to kind of learn the waltz that you're going to do with specific enemies, like you said, but the way in which the game opens up the, you know, the many flavors of combat and the multiple versatilities of the different types of weapons and abilities that Dante has in this. I mean, it, it's like a dream playing this. It's such a breeze. Um, and you both have described it as being, you know, combat being more simplified, but in that simplicity to approach it, you know, there is still a good layer of, you know, complexity to it and stringing Mm -hmm. together combos and whatnot. But another facet of that has to be the variety of enemies and how you really have to take into account, you know, this is either shielded or this has, you know, it's flying and whatnot, or this is gonna have a massive area effect. And all of those elements working in tandem with one another um was I was floored by. Uh the you know, six or seven hours I spent with this flew by. Um and yeah. to the point where now I have the definitive edition. I want to go back and you know check out some of the DLC and whatnot. Yeah,
1: which is definitely worth it because the Virgil's downfall DLC that came out later was yeah, a nice addition to the story. gives you a diff, a very different moveset as well, you know. And yeah, I, I think it is one of those rare instances where, you know, a second protagonist comes into a Devil May Cry game in a very small, optional way. And it's refreshing and I enjoy it, you know. And um, yeah, I don't how do you feel about that, Gary, the DLC?
2: I love the DLC. You know, it, it picks up right where the first the, the game ended and you know you're yeah. with Virgil you're hurt from the battle with Dante um they did a really good job you know i i love that they went with like this animated cutscenes you know like the, mm. the comic book style cutscenes but they're obviously animated i i like that they did that i thought it was really cool to kind of show his kind of version of why he wanted to do what he did at the end of that game yeah um and they did a really good job with it i i think it was a very good addition to to the to the main yeah. story and it sucks because you know the way it ends is is something that... Yeah, sets like, it up <laughs> you know, it, it sets it up for the sequel that we never got that we should have gotten we never know? gonna get either, yeah. I think though. you know it, it, it's it's a sure. shame because you know you you mentioned you know how much people hated Dante when they first showed him mm. off in this one and you know to me I think that stemmed literally from the very first trailer that they showed. You know? Yeah. He had the black coat instead of the red coat. He had black hair instead of gray hair. And we know when they, people were like, oh, this looks pretty cool. And then, you know, the logo of Don't the May Cry appeared. And then all of a sudden, it didn't look cool to them anymore. And I feel like a lot of the people, especially the hardcore fan base, just refused to either acknowledge that the game even existed to them um, or they 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 looked at it and as much as they hated that character, they 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 refused to kind of acknowledge the positives in it. Like no matter like if, if somebody tells me who's a big Devil may cry fan, it's like oh Devil may cry, you know. <clears throat> excuse me, the DMC Devil may cry had boring combat compared to three, and it, it's it's bullshit. The the reason you <laughs> yeah. refuse to play that game or like that game is it just stems from Dante, you know it's yeah. it's the decision that they made to change his character design that that
1: and the, like I said, and that subsequent seeing that first mm-hmm. early scene with the nine million years because scene, that's what people is... were pissed off at. they were
2: complaining so you yeah. know they made the trailer where they literally just rub it in you know, to to that fan base. And I'm happy that they did. They're like, "Either this is our game,
0: you know? It's funny, too, because you can change the skin to the original Dante. I'm sure that's a thing of the, uh, an element of the definitive edition, but that's what I was most curious about in terms of the story for you guys or the characters. And, and, you know, it sounds like clearly um, we don't, we do not have the same reservations as some people that couldn't get on board with that. But, you know, Gary, were there aspects of this new version of Dante that you thought actually, you know, either built upon the character in a meaningful way or, you know, was it perfectly acceptable, this altered version of uh, Dante for you? I think it improved the character. I felt like
2: this Dante was, uh, he wasn't as cocky. I would say he was more confident in who Mm. he was and his abilities. Whereas Dante that we knew from the original series was just cocky. You know, especially you see it in Devil May Cry 3 in the first cutscene when he gets stabbed like four times by giant sides and he's eating a pizza. He doesn't give a shit. That's cockiness (laughs) to me. This Dante actually tries to avoid getting hit. You know, even though he knows he can probably survive it. It's more confidence of who he is and his ability. Um, So I think that's a big step forward. Um, And you see like he's more of a caring person, you know. There's the scene where oh, we can use Lilith to stick it to Mundus, or we can use her to save, you know, Cat. You know, he chooses to save a human rather than take revenge, which in my opinion, old Devil May Cry Dante wouldn't give a shit. (laughs) He'd try to do both,
1: probably. I I mean, this is it. In the early Devil May Cry games, they sort of allude to him sort of having an affection for humanity, mm -hmm. but they don't really go into it very much. No. And this is the first, the only game really where you get that where it's no I don't need you as a Doctor Who style sidekick it's like <laughs> I care about you as a person I want you, know and it works especially because they have Virgil doing what Virgil should do in his arc which is to show that he's more bothered about ruling and about taking over the established order than he is about mm-hmm. humanity itself you know, and, and those two it gives them a real fighting point. It isn't just like, I'm pissed off that I lost to this guy and you didn't, and I'm going to fight you and that's it. And that's a real evolution of the character, which comes into play a bit more again, when Capcom sort of go to Devil May Cry 5, you know, it's like this game taught Capcom so much, I think, Yeah you know, and, you know, I think it, it did well. So it did really well, like critically. Um, where well, I think Capcom saw it for that, and it's great because i I think Devil Cry Five would not have been the game it was had we not had this mm. and had these little evolutions to the character that you know that game is by comparison quite shallow, but it leans a little more into that you know a little bit just enough that it makes it the best of both worlds sort of thing
0: you know I think that you guys made a great point about Dante having perhaps a little more emotional depth to him, right? I'm, you know, I'm not going to say mm-hmm. that Devil May Cry has this um, a story that has really stood out to me as no. being this incredibly deep thing or whatnot, but at the same time, you know, for this type of game, how easy would it have been for them to just rely on that old depiction of Dante where everything out of his mouth is just this, cra- this sort of like smart mouth, uh, smart well, hour yeah. kind of thing, which I you mean- know. There's shades Ten of Ten years later, might have happened. Yeah, yeah
1: it, it, it really could have. If someone if they'd rebooted the series in twenty twenty three, we could very well have had the deadpool of Devil May Cry games. Sure. And, and it would have been that would have been worse. Yeah, you know, because that would have been the absolute apex of it. But no, this is a Dante that is the best of both worlds. You know, tribute to the original in terms of having his own unique sense of humor that is not necessarily great or like cinematic but he's like you know he he is very much in love with what he's saying which you know represent the age he is you know it it makes perfect sense he's confident you know he is going into these battles with the nonchalance and it makes sense that you just say whatever and it doesn't matter it was like you know i mean there's literally you know the, the first big boss battle in the game is you know, before it starts, comics in a fuck you battle, you know, mm-hmm. which is, you know, <laughs> him and the boss just saying fuck you to each other, which is, sounds stupid in isolation, but, as the character, for the character and who he is, who is very much inspired by a sort of, you know, UK punk sort of style, mm-hmm. you know, with this, you know, with Ninja Fury, you know, being very UK based, it, it it's, you know, a very different take on Dante in that respect, but, it that part, is perfect, you know. It really does just tap into that sort of punk vibe of "fuck the establishment, I don't care, blah blah blah" sort of thing, and really, you know, singing to your own tune sort of thing. And um, for for a demon hunter like that, it it really works well.
0: Well, I think that the more emotional side of, or more complex side to Dante that's depicted in this was a character that, and you know, we've said that. We'll probably never get that sequel to this game. But I saw growth in this depiction of Dante and this, you know, specific reboot of this universe and these characters that I didn't necessarily feel with the other two Devil May Cry mm-hmm. games that I've played. And, you know, granted, there's probably been more of an emphasis with each subsequent Devil May Cry to, you know, have a more emphasis on storytelling and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, it took a premise that you could say is in some ways simplistic – But it had the emotional connection to the character in the world that was past just like, oh, this character is good for a laugh and that's about it. Um, I could see sort of the foundation being built of a character that, you know, could actually lead a story that has something to say other than, you know, just flock off Featherface, which as much as I enjoy that um, (laughs) after, you know, six hours or so, it's nice to have something that, you know, tells a story in a unique way, but also has, you know, some semblance of stakes in it past, you know, good conquers – Evil, if you will.
1: It, it, in both cases, they feel very much like games of their time—the you know, original and this. You know that they—you can grab an essence. You know where it's like, yes, it's perfect for what it is. You know, and you know, this feels so much like a twenty thirteen game that it's almost insane that the audience around it were so up in arms about it because it was perfect for them. They, they just did not realize how perfect it was for them. I think. Probably the fact that everything that came out of um, gaming communities after this um, is probably a testament to why. But at the, at the time, it was like it was very baffling to, to see this moral outrage. And it's like, have you seen what this series has been to this point? You know, it's like it's never been consistent. Someone, yeah, you know, part of the audience hates each game for some reason or another. Does it really matter that someone else is having a go? It doesn't erase the past four games. I mean it is mad that we only got a fifth proper entry like many years after this, but yeah you know, given how you know short a term period we got between this, but all the same it's a fascinating franchise that changes up its style constantly and I think you know, it is telling that this one entry by a European studio for once is the one that has um, been so instrumental in making the franchise relevant again, you know, because like I said, so much of what Devil May Cry 5 does comes from this, without a doubt, you know, so hats off to Ninja Fury who, you know, will probably never get to do this again and you know, they went on to make stuff like Hellblade. But this was um, a really daring thing for me. You know, it really did. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the music. You know, we were talking about Capcom games. You know, this isn't technically a Capcom game in that sense. They are the publisher. But a three-headed sort of composer network here, if you count the DLC, um, Noisier and Combi Christ. You know, you have this sort of techno electronica sort of band in Noisier, and then you have Combi Christ, who are like industrial metal. You know, and combining those two in the soundtrack. Wow. You know, it's really strong. You know, it's a standalone thing to listen to. You know, more than any of the, the other Devil May Cry games, this was like, what the hell? This is amazing. You know, I think there's a track that literally. You know does its little beat before it goes into the you know, the bridge and smacks in hard, it, it has that Mundus line of you don't fuck with a god and then just you know, drops the beat like that and it's amazing like that. and it it's just a great thing that it com combines this sort of like all these talents to make this really cool soundtrack that again, feels perfect for twenty thirteen and Kind of ages well because of its a combination of things, and in much the same way I would say new metal works you know, like likewise, you know, there's a mix of electronica, there's a mix of rock and metal, and it just smushes together. It's just amazing stuff. I mean, I'll ask you, Gary, Yeah, you know, considering you know, we've had some pretty banger soundtracks in this whole franchise, how did you feel about this sort of departure, if you will, with this one? I
2: absolutely loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. I loved how, I think of all the things Devil May Cry has, I think as a franchise, the soundtrack has always been the constant. Like there's always a good sound, like not every one of them has, you know, amazing soundtracks uh, overall, but it still has some good beats throughout all the fran- the entire franchise. But this one, you know, I loved, you know, the more heavy, sometimes death metal aspect of it. Uh, but then they're able to kind of combine some of it with more of a, you know, upbeat techno-like style, especially like in a nightclub where, you know, they're trying to combine yeah. the two. And I think they do it so well. You know, I've always said, you know, there's some genres of music that mix so well together. I think like heavy metal with um, symphony mixes very well together, um, you know. And, you know, they they kind of went out here and they kind of did their own little cool thing um I know I think they they licensed i think one of the songs I'm not one hundred percent sure I don't it's hard for me to remember at this point, but yeah, no the soundtrack did everything for it especially that the the soundtrack that the 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 track they picked when you fight Virgil was so mm, yes. good <laughs> like and, and it yeah, kind of mixes I mean, their both their, their two styles like you look at dante he's more the the metal guy and you know virgil's more you know kind of like um i guess i'll just say how i said it he's more like the symphony type of guy yeah. you know he, he's more elegant whereas dante's more yeah. you know like you mentioned this british style of rock
0: wow. oh the music matches yeah. that angels and demons kind of uh, yeah right? absolutely perfectly <laughs> i mean <laughs> Yeah.
1: It, it is telling that they get Jason Graves in to do the soundtrack for the Virgil DLC. You know, where it, you have more of a traditional soundtrack, yeah, you know, it, because it's his story and and, and it, it tells you know, it. It really works as a sort of addendum to what we've already had from Noisier and from Combo Christ. It's, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, you know, I like a lot of soundtracks from a lot of different games of different qualities. But the construction of this one you know, is so in tune with what the game is doing that it you know, is it, just endlessly fascinating as a period piece and as a combination of styles. You know, it, it, that is the biggest thing you know, to combine so many different styles and make them work is excellent. I, it, it, it's part of the original Devil May Cry, if you Think about it, you know, which had this sort of you know, matrix-y style sort of music, but also some orchestral, very traditional catcom style instrumental things going on and they they combine so brilliantly. And it gets you pumped. Like
2: <laughs> yeah. after like right before every boss, like the music starts to pick up like into the song it's leading into. The dialogue is getting you pumped up and I like by the time it gets to it's like, I'm ready to fucking go. Let's do this. You know, and <laughs> i it, it so perfectly matches together everything that they did. Um,
0: well, I think that that plays against the gameplay really, really well, right? Because again, while the gameplay might be a little more streamlined in terms of the accessibility to all the different, you know, features and you can swap on the fly and everything like that for either your play style preference or with whatever threat is facing you in the moment, at the same time, though, it matches that, you know, you have this sort of, moments the calm before the storm and then as soon as you go in with your sort of battle plan that's typically when it kicks up in a way that kind of just has this adrenaline fuel pumping uh nature to it that really does get you through some of those uh quite hectic I'll say encounters but if anything you know I found the combat to be again from what I've played of the series the most refined in just that that aspect of Devil May Cry that makes it such a standout, right? Of streaming together all of these combos. And it's not just that you, you know, are fighting two enemies or three enemies, but you've got this whole crowd of enemies that all have these different abilities and kind of juggling those abilities in addition to juggling enemies in the air. Uh, at the same time, you know, it makes for this really sort of breakneck pace that, again, it feels more inviting, I think, to even people like me that, again, don't play a great deal of this style of game. But I never hit a wall in terms of like being frustrated by it or anything. Because again, based on how I feel in the moment or what weapons or abilities I've been upgrading, I kind of am devising this plan that doesn't have to be the end all be all of how I approach combat. I've, you know, have two or three other backups of strategies with either this weapon or that weapon uh, to throw in at any moment.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but the the whole shift into limbo Mm is a really smart way of covering what had been in the series previously, which was, you know, you enter an area, it would get walled off, you know, like normal day and in a very video gaming term. And here it was sort of communicating something that fit the story rather than just being, this is walled off because whatever, you know, sort of thing. I really liked that, you know, that being in limbo was a story and game mechanic in in itself. It it really did just sort of push the game forward in its own special way.
2: The idea of Limbo, I think, was so cool because, you know, it's it's the same world, but essentially in another dimension. And it's a dimension where you can do whatever the hell you want and nobody is going to be affected by it except for the people in it. You know, I think it was a smart way to do, like a combat system in that world where all these demons are appearing, but nobody seems to care. Like, yeah, (laughs) you know, like here, (laughs) they don't know about it. Only a few select people who can actually see the demons are affected by it, you know? And it was a very cool way of doing it. I thought.
0: Yes. Yes, I mean, that I think again is where this, the game should get more credit for the type of story and the departure that it was taking and the, you know, the angle that it took. In that, you know, all of this brainwashing and whatnot is happening without anybody realizing it. And so to have a world where, you know, the demons are very much a threat, but at the same time, the majority of people in that world don't recognize them. I don't know. For me, it stopped this from feeling overly like like an anime kind of, you know, it definitely has Mm -hmm. those qualities to it. I'm not going to say they're not there, but at the same time, there was a little bit more of like grounding it in a way that made it seem... I don't know, more plausible. Maybe that doesn't really make sense, but it just, there was a presentational aspect to angels and demons and all of these things that played better for me than it typically does, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was more of a, it feels weird to say European horror because I'm going to reference Cronenberg here, but you know, there was a more European-centric idea of what horror could be. That that actually felt more horrific than anything we'd seen in the series. I mean, you think of the nightclub level and how that culminates in a fight with a reverse sort of mother uh, and uh, child sort of situation, where yeah you know, the, the the mother is being pulled into the child sort of thing in this in your terror thing. It's disgusting, freaky, and weird, and it works so well, and every boss design is like that you know where there's something about it that is fucked up and weird and I really like it but that is like the standout in terms of the design where you know the baby is sent out to attack the demon baby and the mother is connected to it and it's oh it it's gross as design goes and it works so well and I really admired that because it was the most inventive sort of enemy design the whole game has and probably the most inventive anime design you will see in the entire series as well. And it comes after a level that you've done all sorts of cool stuff in. So, yeah, it's, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, I just... I love that there's a lot of body horror stuff going on in this sort of demon world and, you know, Lelef, the, uh, you know, is, you know child-rearing creature. It is like this thing that, you know, this very fake, idealistic idea of beauty, you know, where literally her skin is, like, pulled back, you know, and you can see it, you know, into sort of make her look pretty, if you will, in a vulgar term. And, yeah, just stuff like that was amazing to me. It You know, sure, on the nose in terms of, like, commentary, but visually speaking, it works so well. Yeah, uh,
2: uh, to to that you 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 know you mentioned you know how grotesque the some of the bosses and, and villains are, and it makes sense to me because you know yeah. I love when developers going back, okay, we're we're doing demons and stuff. It's like you have to make it as nasty as possible because that's what we're supposed <laughs> to believe, right? Yeah. You know, they're, mm. they're described as these entities that don't have bodies. Like, how would you imagine something that doesn't have a physical body? And, you know, other media just tries to do it. It's like, oh, it kind of just looks like a human. It's got two legs, two arms. It just has some yeah. weird deformation, physical deformation. Whereas here, they they really try to go in and really make you grossed out, as you probably should yeah. be. You know, if, if I could imagine yeah. a demon, I would imagine something super nasty that will make me throw up the moment yeah. I look at it
1: you know exactly something basically swimming around in a skin <laughs> suit, Ooh, which is, is perfect isn't it because you know, even mundus it look, looks like you know he's like joe rogan <laughs> if he was a bag of maggots he's it, it, that isn't he that is what he is
2: yeah and and the succubus yeah. too like we yeah, believe yes. that succubuses are supposed to be these super attractive women that lure men <laughs> i don't <laughs> want to be lured by that thing hell no <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that's the, it. i like that the, the glamour and the illusion of what it is to most people, it, it it's perfect, you know, because there's some weird sort of correlation with like the Ambrosia of the gods, you know, being basically the succubus being that, you know, it's like, but secretly it's a fucking awful thing, you know. And like I said, it, it I like that they lean into the joke of you know being like Futurama slurm thing, and and um, really make that part of it because it really does work for that. Uh, it has those little tongue-in-cheek references you know where it isn't taking itself seriously in the best way possible I think it's just you know while the writing is not like like super amazing but I think for what it is it's smart enough where it, it kind of feels odd sometimes where you're like oh this is actually really good satire but because it's presented in such a dumb way you're kind of like is it you know but you know Alex Garland's evolved and I think that, you know, hit and miss as it can be, you can see it. You can see how um what he says when he's being smart can also be dumb. You know, and how that can be a very deliberate decision. And and you can see it definitely in this game.
0: There's definitely some uh, commentary being made there in between, you know, lines such as uh, "disgusting fuck child," which made me audibly laugh out <laughs> loud uh, at the, at the uh, free flowing way in which the succubus calls you that. But no, yeah, you know, I think while we're talking about creative bosses and whatnot, probably my, you know, maybe my second favorite to um, to the Lilith portion that we've mentioned is the Bob Barbas boss mm. fight, um, which is clearly. Supposed to be a, uh, a certain Fox News host who shall not be named. But, uh, you know, the ways in which that stage not only has you fight an enemy that's not as versed in body horror, right? It's more of like the technological boss, if you will, or it's this big hologram. Yeah. The ways in which, though, that has different stages, right? So you're, you know, avoiding specific uh, projectiles from him in this, you know, digital space. Yeah. But then the way that, you know, all of a sudden the perspective shifts to a newscast – And it's Dante fighting off enemies in that original, you know, carnival section. Like that, I thought was just an amazing way of playing with perspective that ties into, you know, the focus of this villain that you're fighting or this boss that you're fighting. Um, But again, breaking up, perhaps, I don't, I I say monotony, but I don't mean it as if it's like poor design or anything. But just like the stages and the ebb and flow of combat with that specific boss, there's this extra layer of perspective to it that i think helps to keep that entire encounter yeah. um, feeling fresh in a way that it, makes it, it a standout
1: yeah and it and it ages well you know it really does it's like because it's an evergreen thing and you know, now because we live in the age of social media and yeah you know, in a world that's very different to 10 years ago when people were losing their mind about dante's hair yeah you know, we, we live in a world that's more Comfortable online, where you know there are many different viewpoints, and some of them really fit with the ideals of this game a bit more. Man, it, in so many ways, it feels like a game out of time as a result. You know, it's like if it had been released maybe three years, three just three years later, so much would be different. I think this would game would be revered in a way that it never would have been before. I think just because it came when it did and you know, people were on the internet more and becoming more, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, and they weren't being challenged in the way they are now. You know, it's like they were able to sort of fucking lose their shit about stuff like this or mass effect freeze ending. You know, it's like that they would just go crazy and it would be impactful, you know, in terms of how gaming was seen, but gaming has growing bigger and, We don't have to worry about that as much now because, you know, people will love games for what they are in different ways and shapes and forms. But then, you know, that was a death wish to anger the gamers, as as you will.
0: (laughs) You know, as Gary was saying, you know, fandoms are so entrenched. I bet that this version of Dante would receive just as much of an uproar no matter when. Uh, This Mm. was released, unfortunately, just thinking about um, this is kind of a random aside, but like seeing the reception and critical success of something like um, Megan, that film that just came out, and then mm. comparing it to something like the Child's Play remake, right? It was like, what was the thing mm. people couldn't get past? Was the fact that Chucky had a different voice actor and he was, you know, slightly different? It wasn't the possessed doll. It's an AI, but that still ends up being a film that, in you know, that's this is my opinion, a film that you know carries on that character in a way that's at least interesting or evolves on that classic yeah. chucky no, no, and no, delivers absolutely. these crazy
2: kills Yeah, people people yeah, have a very hard time moving on from what they know you know yeah when, yeah. when um robert england got recast as freddy krueger you know people lost their shit <laughs> they, they literally judged that entire movie on the fact that he wasn't playing freddy krueger anymore yeah, you know, it. I'm not saying it was the best Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but it definitely
0: <laughs> wasn't the worst. You know, you know, the, the compare fandoms, that to Freddy's yeah. Dead, and uh... <laughs> yeah, the fandoms are just
2: that. You know, people yeah. weren't happy when they recast Hellraiser or Pinhead. Mm, yeah, you know, um, they're they're just never yeah. the only people you can really recast are those who don't talk. Jason, Michael Myers, you can recast those guys because they don't mm. talk. You never see their face. It's easier. Um. And the same thing happened with Chucky. You know, they're they're so used to the voice of Chucky being, um,
1: right yeah, yeah, like
2: they just can't. Well, I think Mark Hamill did a phenomenal job.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. he actually and mimicked it pretty well to
2: to right. some degree. You know, um, but yeah, I, I, to to me, you know, with with, with DMC, and I, I actually think if it came out today, um, it'd be looked at even worse than it did back then because i, I yeah people would look at it like oh they're just taking what you know what's going on in the world now and and using it as, as fire you know whereas they they did it before you even cared about all this stuff they already saw yeah. that stuff coming and and credit to the writer you know you 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 said you know sometimes his stuff is good sometimes bad i liked a lot of his stuff you know he he wrote 28 days later which is one of the best zombie movies ever made in my opinion
0: um, you're speaking my language
1: Gary <laughs> is that me? he's interesting he does stuff and I think the best writers do end up being hit and miss because their ideas don't always resonate in the time they're put in and you know this is you know you can't call this highbrow obviously but there's so much about it that works on Not just a level of like social commentary, but also just Devil May Cry. I think it's a combination of those two things. Where people who don't really understand either can take it out of context and go, well, this is terrible," because they don't get why there are shitty jokes. When you know, Devil May Cry was born from it, and you know, for people like myself and Gary, the love of this franchise was born from it's. Guy that made shitty jokes and was also pretty fucking good at killing things. Sure. Well, and that was it.
0: A- anybody that doesn't like is not prepared for the one-off jokes and just like some of them not landing and whatnot. The f- game fucking opens up with a guy flying through an RV naked and a piece of pizza covers his crotch. Like you, <laughs> if you can't get on board with that from like the moment the game starts, then like I can't. I don't know what to tell people because the game is so <laughs> upfront in its sensibilities with humor. And it's like comedy is one of the hardest things ever. Is every line hilarious? No. But more no. often than not, it's informing his personality, which, you know, is beloved for a reason.
1: Exactly. And I think in games, that's more important. Yeah. You know, it's like you are being that character and they have to be themselves, not running to a script because that's the film. Then you might as well just have your hands off the controller and watch what's going on. Um, but no, you are partaking in what the character is. And you should feel like, like that. For me, when I played that original Devil May Cry, I fell in love with what that character was. You know, because he was a character out of time even then. You know, it's like he's an 80s action star in, in, in something that wasn't supposed to be like a success. You know, like where lines aren't like polished to the fucking degree. He is just. There, making these lines end up being cult classics in their own right. Flock off Featherface or stick around and find out the hard way. Doesn't make sense. It's a terrible line. <laughs> but guess what? I'm still quoting it here, now, all these years later, because it stuck in my head that much in terms of what that game presented itself as. And so it works. You know, you can be like that. You can be cheesy and wrong. And what, if you have the earnest sensibilities behind the character to make it work. And that is always what Devil May Cry should and, be.
2: You know, to, to be honest, I honestly think that Capcom was happy with DMC, Devil May Cry. Yeah. I think they wanted a sequel. They wanted them to do a sequel. I think the fan base was just so much louder mm. than every... You know, we always say the minority is always louder than the the majority, and I think that's the case here because I think I think it sold like 2.5 million copies when it came out, but yeah, it, it did you know, well. it, it's it's really good. So it should have, by all intents and purposes, gotten a sequel. But I think the, the fans were in such an uproar uh, that they kind of decided to go back to the original version of Dante. You know, and it took mm. them a while. You know, they they finally got Devil May Cry five done. Um, but I think they, they wanted a sequel to this. I think a lot of people... Yeah. I know Ninja Theory definitely wanted a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just a shame that they kind of gave in to the uproar. Yeah, You know, is sure. how I feel it, what happened there.
1: I, I think yeah, it probably worked out for the better for Ninja Theory in terms of what they ended up going on to do, but... It's still like one of those laments you will have where you' like, uh what, well, what if they could have done this game? What if they could have just carried on and made this, and yeah, like like I said before, a few years' difference, one way or the other, nobody would have cared, and we wouldn't have had this, and they would have made a sequel and it's a shame that it just happened to happen at the time where the internet um, gaming community was really just being very big and. Toxic and terrible, and setting the precedent for what we would get. Yeah, so, but yeah, it stands there. And I think it's had what a couple of re releases since with the definitive edition, and really just become the game it was always meant to be when you sort of polish out the little flaws Mm -hmm. it had. And, And it's fantastic. It's a game that every time I return to it, it gets better.
2: It holds up incredibly
1: well. Yeah. I mean, which I cannot say for pretty much any of the earlier ones. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and I love, you know, I adore the first game, but I can fully accept that it is an aged thing. You know, it is not the thing it once was. My love for it is entirely buried in nostalgia. But you know this is a game that you know within that same sort of time frame I went from that game to d m c you know it has just continued to sort of grow and be better, be more impressive, and be more you know twenty thirteen was a really interesting year in so many ways in terms of the games that came out, and there were some really cool sort of shoot for the moon experiments where companies franchises developers whatever and you know this this is one of the tentpole games in that regard where it really just sort of showed people that you know you can do things differently you can really make an established franchise work in a different way but the audience that was there didn't want that they wanted to be spoon-fed the status quo and in some ways you look at it now and look at where games are with the like mainstream audiences and you totally understand why that was the case because people really do just generally want the same shit again and again and again and again and clearly that was the case then i mean deadman cry is old enough as a franchise where you can look at Democry Five and say, "Oh, it's a return to the franchise's roots and stuff." And I say, "Yes, it is," but you're then ignoring what DMC gave to this. You know what it added. To I this think it added a lot franchise. to the really franchise. I mean, there, there's a reason you know, Capcom
2: add... wanted a reboot. Clearly, they saw that it wasn't yeah. working anymore.
1: You know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Forward is such a weird game, and it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm and you know it does the job but it does feel like it's sort of just going through the motions yeah I mean, you know, free was lucky enough to be after two <laughs> and so it, it it could have been anything and been better than that game sure but yeah you know, it was quite good did the job nice stuff i still think it's regarded far higher than it should be you know just because it's Came after two. Uh, but four was like, you know, it had its own problems. You know, Nero was introduced and people didn't want that. And it was, you know, <laughs> ironically the same kind of thing we ended up getting with DMC, you know, where people shat on the fact they changed Dante to be this character that was basically what Nero would end up becoming, which people would end up celebrating the fact that Nero was like that character. It's such a weird franchise. And I love it for that because we, we've we talked about identity so much, you know, in this episode about, you know, and this franchise wants to have an identity and it has it throughout. Yeah. But at the same time, it's constantly searching for a new way to present that identity and always alienating or pissing off people in one way or another who were like, no, oh, but well, it's not like this, not like that. and, there's right, there's wrong, but it just—it's so difficult to sort of define in a way that Resident Evil, yeah, you can look at that as a series from GetCom when you go. Here are the high points. Here are the low points. That's it. You, you know where you are with that series. You you can project them perfectly, and you know even the games where people are a bit more divisive about it. You can say, yeah, but you can see why people don't like this or people do like this. This series is like, yeah, all over the place. And really, it's always best when it goes back to what the game was in the first part, in that first entry in 2001, and says, this is what Devil May Cry is. Where it is distinct from Resident Evil. You know, as Gary said at the beginning of the show, you know, where he made, it was supposed to be that in the first place. When it starts being away from that, that is what Devil May Cry is. Yeah, this silly, over-the-top, ridiculous hack-and-slash adventure where you are killing demons, and that's it. And when the series kind of forgets that, it misses that.
0: This is why I think, you know, 10 years later from DMC's release, I think that the reason why it is still seemingly so beloved by people that it clicked with and that are open to change is the gameplay. I think it comes down to it, right? Yeah. That gameplay is so strong. And, you know, when I think about games from the 2010s, you know, I've tried to revisit some of them and, you know, some of the design feels dated to the degree that I'm like, well, I'm revisiting this because of nostalgia or, you know, there's a story beat or characters that I want to, you know, re-experience with something like DMC though. I mean, the story, it plays, you know, second tune to the gameplay, in my opinion. And this is a game that conceivably the next time I revisit it, whether it's five or 10 years, the gameplay is so strong in hitting that core loop in a way that's very accessible, but still has that depth of stringing together all of the tools at the player's disposal in a way that I'm like, yeah, this game probably wouldn't have that same type of age or, you know, feel Mm -hmm. uh, antiquated, even if they end up making another DMC down the line, which I'm sure they will. At the end of the day, I could still revisit this for, you know, so many of the elements that we've talked about that don't have anything to do with, you know, story or whatnot. It's more so just about how, you know, influential that game design feels in evolving what Devil May Cry is and taking it to this new place, which, you know, now it sounds like I need to revisit or, or, excuse me, I need to play Devil May Cry 5, perhaps, to see how this game influenced that, even if, you know, obviously it's returning to a more traditional DMC experience, perhaps, in yeah. most regards, but I would still be interested to see, you know, the lessons learned from DMC, uh, from Ninja Theory. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, spoilers ahead. Great soundtrack again. There we go.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> as, long
1: as, the as
2: long as you don't get used to playing as one character, because the moment you do, they switch the character on you, and you're like, I gotta fucking yeah. learn how to play the game again.
0: <laughs> it's like six levels in,
1: man. <laughs> yeah, but Dante, one of Dante's weapons is a motorcycle cut in half, so <laughs> wins the right. day. It's and uh, yeah, one of the characters five. literally, yeah, and one of the other characters literally just recites things from a fucking book while he attacks. That's it. So, it, it's wild in terms of like presentation of its attacks, but yeah, it's just you know, there's a reason many Devon fans are fond of that game, and I think it's because it collects everyone together and says, you know. You like this one, you like that one, you like that one. Here we all are together presenting the best of everything. Yeah. And yeah, DMC plays such a big part in that. It has not been spoken about enough, I think. It really does add so much to modern Devil May Cry.
0: Well, hopefully we've uh, done our small part in beating that DMC drum and, you know, chatting up some of the elements of it that make it a a series standout and definitely, you know, in my opinion, favorite uh, DMC that I've played thus far. But if anything, uh, it's inspired me to go uh, check out some of the later entries. But Gary, we were so happy to have you on this week, man, to chat about Devil May Cry, as enthusiastic as you were. Uh, and you know, you really helped us kind of highlight some elements that make it a standout for us. Uh, it's you know, mm. ten years on from its release.
2: I really appreciate you having me. It's been a blast. I'm, I was very happy to be here today.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompot at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.